This is from the year, this is a reflection on the year 1915, so 101 years ago. The average life expectancy for men was 47 years old. Fuel for cars was only sold in drugstores. Only 14% of homes had a bathtub, only 8% a telephone. The maximum speed limit in most cities was 10 miles an hour. And the tallest structure in the world was the Eiffel Tower. Average U.S. wage in 1910 was 22 cents per hour. So the average U.S. worker made between $200 and $400 a year. 1915, more than 95% of all births took place at home. Sugar cost four cents a pound. Eggs were 14 cents a dozen. Most women only washed their hair once a month, and they used borax or egg yolks for shampoo. The five leading causes of death were pneumonia and influenza, tuberculosis, diarrhea, heart disease, and stroke. Most of those aren't killer anymore. And the number of diarrhea-related deaths is down dramatically, particularly in our country today. The American flag had 45 stars, and the population of Las Vegas, Nevada, was 30. 30 people. Only 6% of all Americans had graduated from high school in 1915. My have things changed in 100 years. Heck, my, my things have changed in 10 years, right? The world is a different place than it used to be. This is the time of year where we do some reflecting. We look back at previous years and we look ahead to the year to come. We look back. Maybe bad things that have happened. Concern over things. Joy celebrated. Sometimes bad things turned into good. Sometimes good things turned into bad. This is a time where we ask a lot of questions. Will it be a happy new year? Who will be president at the end of this year? Who and where might there be wars in the world? What job will I have? Where will my kids and grandkids be living by the end of this year? We make New Year's resolutions to lose weight, get in shape, read more, gossip less. Lord, make my bank account fat and my body thin. I think you may have gotten those confused last year. We make plans, vacations, weddings, house projects, work projects, surgeries that are upcoming. It's a time of year where we just reflect and plan a little bit. And so I want to take just a few minutes this morning to talk about how we as Christians should approach a new year. My big point is this. God has a plan and a purpose for you in 2016. We know this. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, players Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And God has specific work for you to do. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
probably a more familiar passage. But listen to how it continues in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me get a little theological for you for one second. Do you know that God created time? And what that means is that God does not live within time. God creates the sun. He creates movement of time. So he lives outside of time. What that means is you may be really surprised by what happens in 2016, but God is not because he's already there. And he's already been there. In fact, this text says God has work prepared for you to do in the future. He's already got it laid out. I want you to do this, and I want you to talk to this person, and I want you to show an example by living through this. God has work for you to do. He has a plan and a purpose for you in this coming year. The question then is, how do we find out what that will is? How do we make sure we don't miss it? Do we plan it? Do goal setting and life planning? Or do we sort of wander into it? Does it just sort of happen by circumstances in our lives? I've always been interested in this question because I'm, I'm one of those people that I read a ton. And I'm a sucker for self-help books. You know, the self-help section and the business section in Barnes & Noble, I have a lot of those books. I've read a lot of those books. I love to read about goal setting and success, productivity. Authors like Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar and uh, John Maxwell. But I often wonder if those are really biblical ideas goal setting and life planning like that. There seems to be some places in the Bible that would say God leads by circumstances. Things that were never planned. Joseph is sold into slavery. Ruth wanders into the field of Boaz. Isaiah suggests that if we wait on the Lord, our strength will be renewed. See, sometimes in the Bible it seems like we almost need to be passive and let life sort of happen. But there are other places where it seems to talk about planning. If you go back in the Old Testament, there's this guy, Moses, that seems to always be counting people. You ever notice this? The whole book called Numbers. It's kind of ridiculous to read, actually. And what, what Moses is constantly doing, he's constantly numbering the people and planning. Because he's got to be prepared if they're ever attacked. He's got to know where all the people are to be able to maneuver them. Moses is a bit of a planner. Paul is constantly planning his missionary journeys, though Paul is also getting shipwrecked and arrested and changing his plans all the time. He still has things he wants to accomplish. Now, what about Nehemiah in the Old Testament, who wants to build the wall, so he does an analysis of what needs done and gets it going. On one extreme, we can have our own goals and our own plans and really drive our life. On the other extreme, we can be really passive, and just let life happen to us and sort of react. And I think the Bible makes a case for living life somewhere in the middle. But it's hard to balance the two. Learning that we are in the world but not of it. Planning our lives but also listening and trusting. Let me say the question a different way. Less personal but still close to home. When we think about a church... Do we think about our church as a business or as not a business? Is the church a business or not a business? Well, we have payroll and we do budgets 
We have to keep track of certain things and we have to pay for certain things. In some ways it's a business, although in another kind of sense, it's not really a business, right? Because we're not in the business of making money. We, we, the goals are different. But still, we can learn some of the principles of business for church. I think our lives are the same way. You're almost you incorporated. And there are some things about planning and goal setting that you really can do, and the Bible really warrants. And at the same time, we're spiritual beings that are called to follow God, and so that gets tricky. Let me try to, let me try to help you think about this a little bit with a metaphor. I grew up, it was just this past week, in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, actually, interesting in my life, I have always lived near water, rivers, lakes, I don't know, uh, big, big objects of water. Lake Erie uh, was a great place to live. And uh, I noticed a lot of stuff on Lake Erie. We would spend time there, and there's a, there's a, a peninsula that goes out into the lake that sort of sections off the bay which is where the city of Erie actually is. And so you get to see the bay versus the lake. I think watching stuff move around on Lake Erie is a great metaphor for how we can and maybe should live our lives. There's different things that float around out there on the lake. One is driftwood. Driftwood is just simply out there tossed around. The wind pushes this way, the waves push it that way. It just kind of goes wherever. And I think sometimes in life, people live that way. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Have you ever met a person that's basically just driftwood? kind of drifting through life. People are that way for different reasons. Some people are that way because they just are. It's like in their personality. They chase after this, and then they get excited about this, and they totally forget about that thing over there. And then next month, it's something different that they're excited about. They're chasers. Their life is a roller coaster. And if you're that kind of person, I'm sorry, but you drive me crazy. <laughs> right? But you know those people that just are into something new every week, every day, it seems. Some people are just like that. Some people learn to be like that. Um, I read a study this week. I am not in any way condoning this study. Uh, it's an older study now. There was a study done on German shepherds. And what they did was they put uh, three different groups of German shepherds in like a harness kind of thing. Right? So they had like this uh, apparatus on them. And some of the, the German shepherds just wore the thing, okay? Some of the Germans, the other two groups of German shepherds got shocked every once in a while, electric shock. And this is why I'm not condoning it, okay? So they got, they got shocked. One of those groups got shocked, but if they went and pulled a lever, the shock would stop, okay? So they had some control over the, the shock. Then the third group, they got shocked and they had a lever, but when they went to pull the lever, it did absolutely nothing. They had no control over the shock whatsoever. So you've got a group that's never shocked, a group that's shocked and can do something about it. And then you've got a group that's shocked and they can't do anything about it. They're helpless. Then they took all the dogs and they put them in a pen. You can imagine this, this, uh, this sanctuary being like the pen. And on this half of the sanctuary, if the dogs were over here, they would occasionally get shocked. Every so often they get shocked. 
And if they were on this half of the pen, then there was no shock at all. So if the dogs figured out to just stay over here, they'd never get shocked. Now what was interesting is the first group that never got shocked ran around till they found the area where they wouldn't get shocked. And they ended up over here. The second group that, that would get shocked and could pull the lever, they experimented till they figured out, okay, there's less shock over here. I'll just stay over here. The interesting part of the study was that third group that got shocked but was helpless to do anything about it. That group did no experimenting at all to find the area where they wouldn't get shocked. For the most part, they just stayed in the area that they were. So you had two-thirds of the dogs spending all their time over here because they figured it out. And one group that felt helpless so they didn't even try to figure it out. They called it learned helplessness. And I'm convinced a lot of people have this. They have learned helplessness. Maybe, there are some times when you get a cancer diagnosis, you get something going on in your body, you lose somebody, where you're helpless and you know it. But there are some times where people go through a time where they're helpless and then they just decide they're always helpless. Have you seen these people before? They have no agency in their life. So they just get tossed about. Whatever they're feeling, whatever goes on, they just react. They're never proactive. And I don't think that's good for Christians. Because Psalm, the Psalm 46 promises, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in times of trouble. Psalm 144 verse 1 says, Blessed be the Lord my rock who teaches my hands to fight and who trains my fingers for battle. Listen, as Christians, sometimes there's stuff that's out of your control. That you are not helpless. You have the ability to react and act and pray and rely on God. And if you don't, if you don't see that, you get a learned helplessness. You end up just driftwood, just tossed about by life. And you know what happens to driftwood? Eventually, it gets piled up in the same place. All driftwood comes together, and eventually it ends up on a beach going nowhere. Gets picked up and gets thrown out. And I've seen this. You know, these people that get tossed about, you know what they do? They find other people that are like that, and they hang out with them. And then we just all go nowhere together. This is not the Christian way. It's just not. So I see driftwood out at the beach. Then if you go, particularly down at the bay in Lake Erie, there are all these docks and there's all these ships. What's amazing to me, I've been there, you know, gone there, I don't know how many times in my life, is on the nicest days, only up to about a quarter of the boats are out in the bay. Most of them are sitting at the harbor. There are boats, I'm convinced, have never left the harbor. Somebody bought a boat, they thought it would be cool, and they just leave it down there. They pay big bucks to keep it there. Ships were not meant to stay in the harbor. They're meant to go to sea. And I'm convinced some people in life just sit in the harbor. They don't try anything. They don't change. They don't learn anything new. They just try to stay right where they are. But I don't think this is good. People do it for different reasons. Some people choose not to move. And you were made to change. You were made to grow. You were made to be more Christ-like every year of your life. If you're the same person you were five years ago, something's wrong. If you're the same person you were last year, something's wrong. God is at work in you, moving you towards Christ-likeness. And if you say, ah, I've arrived. I don't need to grow, learn, change anymore. You're telling God you've already hit Christ's likeness 
And I guarantee you at that point, you have not. You can't just choose to stay in the harbor. You are meant to be at sea. It's one of my favorite metaphors of the church. Because if you look at the, the ceiling of our church, this is actually meant to look like a boat upside down. Okay, So the, the, this would be the, the center of the boat. And you've got this. We are, boat, we are we're on the boat. We are fishers of men. And we are not meant to stay in the harbor. We're meant to go out to sea. Sometimes people don't do, any, do anything. They just stay in the harbor. They just stay tied up at the dock because they're waiting on God to make something painfully obvious. Like when God gives me a sign from heaven, I will move. Like when the door opens and there's all these flashing lights saying, Jordan, do this, I'll go. Here's the problem. It almost never happens that way. <laughs> almost never happens that way. In fact, I'm convinced God doesn't, God doesn't work by opening doors. God works by closing doors. One of the things I have done every time I've had to discern something in my life is I've tried different doors and let God close them. Like people just sit back and wait for God to make it obvious. Sometimes you got to get out there. You think you want a new job? Apply to jobs. Let God say no. When you sit around, you say no for God. That doesn't work that way. You can't wait for God to make it obvious. you got to move and let God direct you as you go. Some people are stuck in the harbor because they've said yes to too many things. You are a human being and you can't do it all. If you say yes to everybody, if you say yes to everything, then there's going to be some really important things you're going to end up saying no to because you don't have the time. Or you know what's worse than time is energy. Anybody else find that? I find like, oh, I got another two hours in a day, but I am done. I run out of energy way before I run out of time. And so if you're going to put energy in, you can't say yes to everything. You've got to be able to say no to certain things so you can say yes to what God's will is for your life. Anybody have trouble saying no? Can you admit it? We've got, we got some yes people in. Yeah. Yeah, we can, cause we can handle it, right? But there's all these important things. I've always wanted to do this, or I've always wanted to think about this. I've always wanted to read this. And I never get to those important things because there's always urgent things that are demanding my time right now. you got to learn to say no. And often you got to say no to good things. It's, it's, it's easy to say no to terrible things, right? There's no way I'm helping you with that, right? I can't do that. But it's when somebody really genuinely needs help and you got to say no because you're called to do something else. That's a much tougher decision. Here's your phrase for 2016. You ready? A need is not a call. A need is not a call. Everybody say that. A need is not a call. Just because something needs done doesn't mean you're the person called to do it. You can't respond to every need. If you respond to every need, there's going to be important things God has for you to do. You're going to miss out. You've got to realize that a need is not a call. Some people are stuck in the harbor. Some people are just adrift at sea. Some people are motorboats. They're powerboats. I think a lot of the success literature is like that. You just pick your target. You got a goal. Ooh, you go there. Just chug, turn on the engine and you fire. Now, I think there's some, some validity to that. I think we do need to have goals. I think we do need to set our sights. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He says a couple of verses later, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
You got to have goals and you got to press for them. You got to work for them. You got to go for it. Just like Paul pressing towards his goal. But I think we can also run into problems if that's totally our way of thinking. Number one, motorboats run out of gas very quickly. Okay, you learn this on the bay. If you've got to go and you've got to get somebody to tow you back or they've got to bring you gas, it costs you a lot of money. And it is expensive to have a motorboat. Okay, it just is. You burn out. If that's the way you are, I got a goal and I charge for it, you're going to burn out. You're going to run out of gas. You're not meant to go everywhere and do everything. I think this is why the Bible emphasizes so much Sabbath. Because when we Sabbath, when we take a day of rest, we acknowledge that we can't do it all, and we trust God with what we can't do. That makes it all the more important, by the way, that you do the right things, that you get the right things done, and you let certain things not be done. I was reading a book this week that was, I'm going to try this, was talking about not just having to-do lists, but having not-to-do lists. Have a list of stuff I am not going to do this year. I'm not going to get sucked into this. I'm not going to have this conversation 20 more times. I'm not. These are the things I get sucked into. I am not going to do this year. Because if you don't, you're going to burn out. If you don't rest, you're going to burn out. You can't be a powerboat forever. You just don't have it in you. You were never meant to have it in you. There's nothing wrong with you. There's just too much to do. You can't do it. You're not supposed to do it all. Problem number two with a motorboat, a powerboat mentality, is it can get very easy to do it without God. Just be self-motivated. I can handle it. I can be a self-made man or woman. I don't really need God. You can be doing life for God instead of with God. Did you catch that difference? Life for God, but really I'm doing it on my own, on my own strength, and I'm really doing what I want. I'm just doing it in God's name. That's using God. That's not serving God. Do it with God, with his strength, relying on him. That's the only way you have humility to, by the way. If you, if you do it all on your own, there's no humility. It's you that did it. You're the savior. And in Christianity, that does not work out. By the way, you never want to be the savior because we know saviors get crucified. Okay, don't take that role in your life. You want to let Jesus do that. Problem number three, some of the best God moments are interruptions, Right? Sometimes you're charging towards something and something derails you and you can get mad about that. But I'm going to tell you right now, God is often in the interruptions. Some of Jesus' best moments were supposedly accidental conversations he had on the way to what everybody else was thought was going to be important. Be ready for God. God has accidents. And if we get too much into, all right, here's the goal. We've got to go for it. Then maybe God's got something really wonderful for you over here and you're going to miss it because you're charging towards something got to have some balance. I think the great metaphor is the sailboat. I think the great metaphor is the sailboat. Sailboats are awesome. How many of you have been sailing? Been on a sailboat before? Okay, sailing is interesting because you have a goal. Like, okay, I'm going to get to there. This is generally where we want to go. We're going to go up the coastline and we want to get over to this point or whatever the goal is. But you also have to, in the middle of the goal, in the middle of the planning, in the middle of your charts, You've also got to react to the wind. So you never in a sail, you never sail directly to where you're going. It never works out. 360 degrees, the wind is never exactly where you need it to go straight from point A to point B. So you know what you do when you sail? You go like this, 
and then you cut back this way, and then you cut back this way, and you react to the wind until finally you end up where you were going to go. And along the way, you've got you've to move the sail. Sometimes you've got to trim the sail, make the shape of it right. You've got to be constantly reacting to the wind, but also constantly looking at where you're going. I think God's spirit is the wind. And God's spirit is at work in our lives. And so we need to set goals and we need to plan. That only helps us follow the wind better. But we've also got to react to the wind. It's got to be both. This dance of planning and reacting to the Holy Spirit. We react to the Holy Spirit when we plan. One of the things I do is I really pray over my goals for the new year. And in fact, I, I just pray to God. I say, Lord, these are, your, these are yours. I'm yours. And if there's any goals in here that I have that aren't your goals, help me fail at them. Just help me not do the things that aren't your will. And I try to put myself in a position as we enter a new year that says, Lord, I'm, I'm yours and whatever you got coming, I'll take it. Sometimes that ambition inside of you really is God speaking. The kingdom of God is within you. And sometimes you've got to test it and you've got to work it out. Sometimes you got to plan and you got to set your goals, you got to work on them, but you also got to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Let Him guide you, let Him fill your sails. So dream this year, set goals, try to do something you never thought possible, but also listen to the wind, the Spirit, that God may fill your sails, carry you into the surprising places that He already intends for you to go. And remember Christ, who had his goal and completed it as he went to the cross. You can trust God with your 2016. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this new year. And I pray your blessing be upon it for those here today and for this congregation. Lord, that we would follow you, that we would listen to your spirit, and that we would go into the places you have set for us to go. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.